Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film from 1998 film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight yes Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident self-assured style Lex Luthor in Superman what is it about Gene Hackman that uh... his performance it's off the charts but still in reality fiendishly gifted 1981 Sam Raimi Opus The Evil Dead oh yes fine choice Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have charade oh directed by Stanley Donnan it's a textbook screenplay it's just effortless and there's not a wrong note in this movie can't say enough great things about it we'll be back next Friday with an all new episode of the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is the definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed his dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Beautiful. Um, This is part of our increasingly epic, ongoing exploration of unmade Batman movies, and we're joined once again with our glorious guests, Mr. Ed Greer and Pat Casey. Hey, 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 this is Pat. This is Pat's voice. This is Um, Ed's voice. It's one of them. (laughs) It's one of Ed's voices. Hey, it's Ed. Um, So we left off last time. We'll just get right back going. We last left off last time with the treatment for uh, Tim Burton's treatment with Julie Hickson. Um, Julie Hickson's treatment with Tim Burton. Would with Tim Burton. Yeah, he probably, yeah. She probably, she probably did all the, the real work and typing on that, um, which is uh, similar, but also very different than the movie that Burton eventually made. But what, what, is, what is interesting about this is that this wasn't like his treatment and then they revised it and made the movie. Like there was a bunch of other people who waded in with attempts uh, in between. So Steve, why don't you uh, pick things back up for us behind the scenes here? Yeah. So that was in 1985, October, 1985. And now we're going to roll into 1986 and then not to keep bringing up Adam West, but I have to, because I think this is why people kept thinking it was going to be campy is because Adam West keeps inserting himself in the news. And he told the Montreal Gazette that I hear they're working on a third draft, but they haven't talked to me. If they do a Batman movie without me, they might as well say bye-bye to 10 million at the box office. Like, so, I just got to say, I feel like Adam West was like hurting his career with all this trying to hold on to Batman stuff because he's like a funny actor. 
Like now he works again. And maybe he would have been working all through the 80s if he wasn't always like complaining in the press about really, how they were trying to replace him, him like seem Batman. like a sad loser. Yeah, it the, makes him seem like a sad loser. Which is funny because I mean the movie never would have gotten made, I'm sure, but like Tim Burton is the one guy that might have actually wanted to cast Adam West as Batman. Uh, or at least or put at him least somewhere in the movie. Been, yeah, he could have played Commissioner Gordon or just somebody, you yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I know it, it bums me up, but I want to bring it up because it's when I was researching this, going through papers, I, I, I left out a lot more other articles with him. He is everywhere throughout the, and I think that's what maybe kept putting in people's minds, like maybe without even reading the article, Adam West, Batman, he must, they must be making it with him. It's going to be this crazy, you know, and I was sitting in the back of people's heads while they were going, well, Uslan and everyone else is like, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like this. But it's amazing how many times he keeps popping up in the news throughout this whole process, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And then February 1986, as we discussed last episode, is when the Dark Knight Returns four comic series is released uh, by Frank Miller. And, you know, and which is very important. And that's going to bring us to Steve Englehart. Uh, his treatment in uh, March 1986. And a really quick thing he said on his website, um, 10 years after I wrote the definitive Batman for Detective Comics, I got a call from DC Comics publisher Jeanette Kahn. It seems that when those Detective Comics first appeared, Michael Uslan told an interviewer that the comics showed him for the first time how to do a Batman film for adults. In the 10 years since, he had tried first as an independent and later in association with Warner Brothers to translate my story into a single film. A series of scripts involving Silver St. Cloud, Boss Thorne, and the truly insane Joker have been generated by Hollywood's finest writers, but somehow weren't working. So now I was asked to return to the Batman. And that will bring us to the first treatment. Oh, wait, uh, Steve. Uh, or, oh, yeah. You guys should oh, probably explain. I was I, say I, Pat or Ed, maybe uh, give a little background on Englehart for our listeners. I mean, Englehart was just, I mean, he's a like a lifelong comic book writer. Um, but yeah, he had like, he's most known for this Batman run, which was relatively short. Um, but yeah, we what what else? I mean, he wrote some uh well, I mean Doctor it, Strange and stuff. Even beyond yeah. I, like I guess more specifically, like uh, because you know, I read Batman, but I felt like I was so young then I was barely looking at the credits blocks on uh, you know, I was probably still young enough that I was like, Yeah, Bob Kane does all the Batman stuff, even now <laughs> in the in 1990. Um, but like, but it seems like he was pretty important for the evolution of Batman as a character in the comics, right? Yeah, it's like he brought, I guess I'm not sure. It's like Batman had been kind of in the campy vein of the Adam West show kind of in the 60s. Like, I think the comics leaned into that because the show was so popular and he played a major role in making Batman cool again, um, along with, I mean, yeah, like Denny O'Neill and... uh, I'm not sure of the exact order, but his run introduced Silver St. Cloud. It brought back the Joker who had been absent from the comics for a long time, I think, and made the Joker like a homicidal maniac again instead of a big joke. The Laughing Fish was one of these stories where Joker does something to the water supply and makes all the fish look like Jokers. And he claims to copyright the fish. And he wants everyone to pay him royalties for fish. (laughs) And the government's like, that's insane. You can't do that. So then Joker's like assassinating all these people in clever ways using his his laughing gas, et cetera. Because I feel like growing up, I had one of those. Remember DC would release those compilations that was like the greatest stories ever told. You know, the greatest Batman stories ever told. Greatest Joker stories ever told. And it was interesting seeing the like evolution of Batman. And just like all of a sudden the artwork became cool and the stories became cool. And like the jump from the sixties to the seventies and that compilation, yeah. which now Engelhart looking back, also I like, bet Engelhart probably did the issue I'm thinking of. Yeah. And it's like he and Marshall Rogers was the comic on at least most of the run. And they like, mm-hmm. they, they reinvented Deadshot and made him cool. They brought back Hugo strange who had been like a villain in the forties and they made him cool again. There was like a storyline where he had, either Bruce Wayne or Batman like committed to an insane asylum and Hugo Strange took over as Batman. And yeah, most notably the Silver St. Cloud story, which was 
that Silver's like a socialite who starts dating Bruce, encounters Batman, has kind of a thing with each of them, and then figures out that Bruce is Batman. And ultimately, she, I think, dumps Batman because she's like, I'm in love with you, and I just saw you almost get killed, and I can't like be in a relationship like this, knowing that you're just going to randomly die one night. And she but takes you'll inherit my billions. That's what he should have said. <laughs> I know, right? That's just, uh, but uh, and last things last. As far as uh, Englehart, he is uh, as as Pat so eloquently elucidated, uh, sort of a uh, an archaeologist. Like I think he was the one who dug back up Bucky to be down with Captain America. He created Shang Chi with I think Jim Starlin. Yeah, it's basically a spinoff of Fu Manchu, even though they've now excised that part mm-hmm. of the Shang Chi character replace yeah. Fu Manchu with a different evil dad. Yeah. So yeah, he's he get he gets in real deep with uh with with I think um as like a he he started as an art assistant and just one of these comics lifers like uh like a Peter David or a one of these guys that just like they or a Roy Thomas or something. They kind of get in and they stay in because fuck this man. I ain't going back to bag of groceries, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so where does that leave us here? So it is interesting, yeah, like this is the first time they've given like a comics writer a crack at it as well, which I yeah. feel like that's often something the fans are always like, totally. why don't they have the comics writer write the movie? Or why don't they have the game writer write the movie? Mm-hmm. I mean, which is a legitimate uh, question sometimes. Especially, I mean, I think a lot of these comics writers probably could handle it reasonably well, but they're not in the union, so fuck them. No, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> oh, and dig this. He also, I just, I just wikied him real quick. This is dope as hell. He actually did uh, three episodes of the television series Nightman. <gasps> Nightman, Jesus. What was Nightman? You like to explain <laughs> Nightman, Ed? <laughs> I would not. <laughs> yeah, just look it up. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, uh, so we, we got a sides of plenty look up nightman it's just yeah. sort of a it's a it's a batman-y nighty sort of character well, now i'm just but... hearing the always sunny in philadelphia yeah. charlie day song well yeah day man <laughs> nightman champion yeah. of the sun yeah, dude. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. just look it up it's insane but yeah, wait so it, we uh, have we have two Engelhart treatments mm-hmm. right yeah, which share some elements, but are actually fairly different. Um, so I also think it might be fun to kind of go through them and then uh, afterwards analyze what we think the notes he got on the first one were, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, Pat. <laughs> well, Ed, Pat, do you guys want to? You both read these, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and just I, I'll just say one thing before I let Pat take it away for this for a little part of this first one. Although I, I read this, I read both of them, but I read the second one less. So I just got to say both of these treatments have Steve Englehart's actual signature on them. And from Englehart's shenanigans after this, saying that basically every Batman thing ever was based upon his dopeness because he kind of has bought into that myth because, hey, if I was- It was funny, of- his like statement that Steve said earlier, like, since I did the definitive Batman, which is right? just a ridiculous thing to say, even though, I mean, it was a great run. But Dude, still. if I had a cup of coffee on Batman, my great-grandchildren would be talking about how I made him up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'd be the new Bill Finger to hear me tell it. So trust me, I, I get it. And part of that ego, though, I know that these scripts that we got were from like either a fan at a con showed him this and he signed it or bought it as memorabilia. And when they made these copies of it to get to give to us, whatever. But I like to envision that Steve Englehart just wrote his signature on the original treatments before he <laughs> sent it into the yeah. place. Like, hey, this is going to be worth a bunch of money. So just go ahead and keep that. You're welcome. <laughs> I like to think that that's how it happened. That's my head headcanon anyway. So yeah, but uh, 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 the the first thing is uh, the Dick Dick Grayson's parents getting killed. That's the first thing in the first uh, treatment is is a scene of of the parents getting killed and they're killed by Joker gas. Basically, the dad of the Graysons drops his wife and himself because he can't keep his coordination because he's Joker laughing. Yeah, this is the cold open. That's mm-hmm. interesting. They I fall mean- and die. Dick is all sad. Batman basically walks out. Not Bruce. Batman's right there and like puts his hand on Dick's shoulders and like looks at Dick and is sad. And then we get a very fast flashback of Batman's origin and, and we see Thomas and Martha get killed and Batman making his graveside vow, the most important part of the uh Batman mythos apparently. Also, they <laughs> Steve notes that um they're leaving a movie from the Warner Brothers 
library, preferably a swashbuckling adventure oh. type movie, but he doesn't say the exact title. I love, I love we do that sometimes. <laughs> that kind of note. Oh, yeah. And uh, very quickly, um, then uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara arrive. Chief O'Hara, famously more uh, uh, an actual 60s character. Yeah, he's from that, the TV you know. show where right. like it never really made a lot of sense. Because, I mean, if there's a commissioner, is there even a chief? Are those two different jobs? Mm. But here, Chief O'Hara doesn't like Batman. He's like, we don't need this costume grandstander. And there's some kind of thing where the Joker exists as a rumor is referenced in this scene as well. Gordon likes Batman. O'Hara does not. Gordon like takes Dick away. And it's funny because yeah, this murder just happened and Batman was right there and he literally does like nothing about it. <laughs> I was just paying attention. My bad. But we cut immediately to Batman doing a classic Batman busting in on some scumbags and beating the shit out of him from information. Where's the Joker? Oh, because like in this instant too, or no, wait, maybe it's the other draft. But Batman. I don't quite if there was like some kind of clue that this was a poison that made the dad drop it, but he does have the crazy grin. So maybe that's all you need. So Batman yeah. kicks all these bad guys asses, but without excess brutality, he notes in the, <laughs> in the here. Um, and we go back to the circus where Dick is still rehearsing and the other circus people are like, well, you know, it's like he's what, what a tough kid. Um, and Bruce shows up. And flirts with Silver St. Cloud, who runs the Gotham Garden, as it's called, a Madison Square Garden-esque thing. It's funny how many of these scripts have included a Madison Square Garden thing, and now that plays into the Batman all these years later. Mm -hmm. uh, No idea ever dies. (laughs) And uh, the... uh, the circus is like, we'll take care of Dick. And, you know, it's like, it's like we're like the only family he's got. But Dick's like, no, I'm going to stay in Gotham and find whoever killed my parents and get revenge. And Bruce is like, no, I dig this kid's style. <laughs> uh, so then Batman comes back and kind of appears to Dick and like basically offers him a job. He's like, I hear you want vengeance. And he, he's like, maybe you could be an operative for me. Like basically giving him a job as like a Baker Street irregular. Like he wants to like use him to like, you know, follow people and stuff, yeah. not to be Robin. But Batman blindfolds him and drives him to the cave. And in the car, he's like, my parents got murdered too, by the way. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, and as. No, that's really, really quickly. Uh, the thing that I like about the scene of them first meeting basically is like Bruce tries to give the kid every out. I think that's important because he starts telling the kid, hey, you know, crime has gone down. Like he's he's actually he's channeling himself. Steve Englehart is he goes crime has gone down drastically since I've showed up. <laughs> but like super like fucked up weird crime has gone up because more people come to the city to try to defeat me because I'm yeah. so dope. More wacky costumed villains and such. <laughs> right. And so, and so he goes, so you could argue that I was responsible for your for your parents' death. And Robin's like, nah, fuck that. That's stupid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, no, you're awesome. Don't worry about it. So yeah, go ahead, Bit. <laughs> so then there's like a bit of like Batman like teach teaching him how to do, how to like shadow people, etc. But Dick's like, but I want to learn kung fu and really fight people. And Batman's like, no, 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 no. So that night during the circus, um, which is at the Madison Square Garden or the Gotham Garden rather, a dude starts laughing, laughs himself to death, and it turns out the Joker was the hot dog vendor. <gasps> Batman bursts out and chases him through the circus and Joker steals a clown car. There's like a silly chase and Joker disappears. I think he escapes out like the bottom of the clown car where when they do the gag where a million clowns come out, there's actually like a trap door below the car. Mm -hmm. And the guy who died from laughing himself down to death was a baker, right? So Batman calls Alfred. He's like, what's that quote about? bread and circuses and alfred's like oh and he knows whatever greek philosopher or whatever what roman philosopher said juvenile juvenile. but so alfred knows all this stuff and tells (laughs) tells bruce who kind of only vaguely knew it and then alfred kind of like at the end of this scene like turns to a painting of thomas wayne and was like you you'd be proud of what your boy has become kind of thing to this painting um and uh, so Batman goes to uh, Commissioner Gordon's office and they have a meeting about this. Wait, I think I, I actually copied it down what Gordon says, because he says it in both of these uh, these docs. 
Shoot, where is it? Ed. After the after the juvenile quote, uh, the the fade to Gordon's office, and the commissioner enters and turns on a desk lamp, and uh, oh yeah, and Batman is there. He's like startled. That scene. Yeah. Oh, but so Gordon says about why he works with Batman. He's like, when I became commissioner, I knew exactly how hard the police work and how many crimes remain unsolved. So I decided to back the Batman. Law enforcement is supposed to serve and protect, and I believe that we serve best by protecting best. By trusting Batman, I guess. I don't know if the logic really holds up, but they really felt like they needed to justify this. Right. Oh, and they, and yeah, and, and at the end of that, he says the thing about uh, but O'Hara thinks differently. So they have to pound that home that like I'm it's like they're playing good cop, bad cop with Batman. <laughs> I lost my spot. Oh no. <laughs> oh, we're back to the garden after after go- oh, and they have this st- same gag in each of them. Uh, Pat, while you catch your spot, uh, it's on, I think, page uh, seven of the thing. Uh, fade into the garden. Uh, they're going to do that. But right before they do that, when Batman leaves, he sort of vamps on Gordon, jumping out the window before, you know, Gordon can turn around, that whole classic thing. And Gordon looks down at his own rounded belly and laments that he, when you were young and fit, you couldn't jump out a yeah. fucking window. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, what? what is that even a joke? As a person with a rounded belly, I'm just so offended right now. So, so like, <laughs> So like, yeah, they just make this point in each of the two drafts that when Bat- when Gordon when Gordon sees Batman do something dope, he rubs his own belly like, fuck, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Batman goes back to the circus. There's just a lot of visiting the circus. Like the whole movie is all about the circus. And he talks to Silver as Batman and kind of flirts with with her. And maybe this is like this is the kind of thing where he says like the same compliment eventually as both well, Bruce and Batman blowing his deal. Idiot. Kind of like in Batman Returns with that, the great, uh, you know, mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. Like a kiss can be deadlier if you meet it. Um, But so then uh, he, I forget what he's even there to talk to Silver about. Kind of nothing important because I didn't write it down probably. But, But Batman puts Dick as a shadow on the mayor because of this quote about bread and circuses. There's like more of the quote, like listing different kinds of people. So Batman's like, Joker's going to kill each of these kind of people in order or whatever. So the mayor is going to be one of the targets. So he puts Dick on the mayor and there's this whole sequence of Dick wearing different disguises. He's like a newsboy. He's a bike messenger. He's whatever following the mayor. And like Dick is like 12 in this. He's like a really a child. Um, but I like this whole kind of Baker Street irregular kind of concept of, of <laughs> Uh, and he would have been then, played by Corey Feldman. Yeah. So then uh, Batman shows up and like sends Dick home. He's like, you, you covered the day. I'll follow the mayor now. And the mayor gets in his limo and there's a carjacking attempt and Batman jumps in and there's a big action sequence. Um, Batman beats the shit out of these dudes. And Dick like runs in and fucking Kung Fu's a guy as well because he was actually following this action as well. He didn't go home. Uh, but it turns out they weren't the Joker's guys. They were just regular old political terrorists of some sort. And O'Hare is there and he's like, they weren't even the Joker's guy. You suck, Batman. Your bread and circuses theory is idiotic. You cast you dumbass. It's just a coincidence. <laughs> um, so then we cut to the Joker who goes to the Salvation Army and uses his Joker gas to kill like the Colonel who runs the Salvation Army. I guess this whole Salvation Army thing feels very like of another time. I've never understood it. When I see like guys and dolls and stuff, I'm just like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> anyway, he kills this guy and like disguises himself as the Colonel. The Colonel uh, of the Salvation Army? Yeah, <laughs> that is kind of funny. But yeah, I guess the Colonel, they're supposed to be, he's supposed to be kind of a distinctive type of you know the guy of the city that cares about the homeless so huh. him killing this particular guy is supposed to like mean something to that community and so as the as the colonel he goes out and hands out food and does stuff for that day but he also tries to identify the time bombs it says like the walking time bombs like, not just i'm down on my luck because i got divorced or whatever it's like no i'm a malcontent i have maybe a mental illness i'm easily yeah, whatever like crazy this is kind of like he turns like the like schizophrenic homeless into like an army he like gives like a hitler-esque speech getting them all riled up 
about revolution and whatever like in a i mean it's funny a lot of these scripts have this kind of idea of like joker is like a revolutionary which like in the comics has almost never been a thing because he's kind of only out to create chaos and here i guess it's kind of like he's just using that as an excuse to create chaos yeah. probably mm-hmm. um but there's also a sequence where yeah then like batman shows up at the circus and talks to dick again and dick thinks he's going to be mad for like dick jumping into that fight but instead, Batman's like, hey, get in the car. And he takes him back to the cave and like is like, guess what, kid? I'm millionaire Bruce Wayne. And, and Dick's like, hey, can I stay here instead of going back to the circus tonight? And Batman's like, uh, yeah, sure. So we basically already got into this idea that he's going to adopt him, even though they don't say those words. Love it if, I would love it if Dick had just been really disappointed. Oh, Bruce Wayne's a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and there's but there's more talking about Joker's plan and trying to figure it out. And Alfred's like participating in the detective work here. Like Engelhardt specifically says that like Alfred's like more like a partner than a uh, servant as well. Yeah, I and think then, maybe and I then falsely the... attributed that to the Uslan script the other day, um, but that was from this one. Oh yeah, and then, <laughs> and then the beer hall putsch happens with the Hitlerian speech yeah, yeah. after that. So then there's more like Bruce goes back to Gotham Garden to talk to the silver. They go out for like a lunch date and they're like start falling in love immediately. Um, well, meanwhile, Alfred and Dick are hanging around the house and Alfred's kind of like telling Dick about Bruce and all his emotional pain, but also how hard he's worked to become a Batman and what a great man he is or whatever. And Dick's like, wow. <laughs> um, so back to Bruce and Silver on their date and they get mugged by some of these homeless people the joker riled up i think right or something yeah. like that yeah they, they they he riled up the homeless dudes but basically these dudes were specifically supposed to i guess kill bruce wayne and, and silver saint cloud or whatever and so once batman sort of batman or rather bruce wayne gets stabbed in the arm fighting them off but only because he was fighting at like half speed because he yeah. didn't want to he didn't want to clue silver in so he gets this injury in his forearm which comes up later as pat you can yeah, elucidate silver later. like bandages um him up with her you know fancy fashion scarf right. and we follow the muggers <laughs> and it turns out yeah they were working for joker and joker's like great great job guys here's some drugs he's like giving drugs to them to get them to do stuff that he wants them to do but then he kills the one who stabbed Bruce because he stabbed him but failed to kill him. Uh, and that's that's just weak sauce as far as the joke is concerned. Although I have here noting that Bruce wasn't actually a particular target. I think maybe he did just send them out to harass rich people. Yeah, harass people. Yeah, or, But he, he didn't kill. So that's what the guy yeah gets killed for, for not killing. But Alfred's very pleased that Bruce is falling in love um, and t- tells Bruce that. And Bruce is like, God, stop it, Alfred. And Dick <laughs> pops out in his Robin costume. He's like, hey, guess what? I'm your sidekick, Robin. And Batman's like, no way. You're just a kid. <laughs> only following, only Baker Street or regular stuff for you. Uh, meanwhile, there's a press conference outside the Gotham Garden, the only place in the entire city, about the new housing development for the poor. Oh, that's like the circus. All the proceeds from this, the circus's run at the garden is going to go towards like new new poor people housing. And Joker drops a bunch of TVs on the crowd from a plane, <laughs> just exploding people's heads with fallen TVs. Uh, <laughs> wow. I kind of love and, that. Uh, <laughs> So back to Batman and Dick training in the cave, but now Batman is training Dick in like Kung Fu. When they get the news about the Joker's latest murder, who I forget who it was, but it's someone who's like another part of the quote, making realize they missed one who should be some sort of military officer. I think it's the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development gets yeah, killed. Who's like a consul? Man, I should have written down the whole. It the was whole uh, yeah. It says that, Circus's it, uh, quote. He read. He read. He read the uh, the the the. The juvenile quote backwards. You, if you read the juvenile quote backwards, you get circuses, bread, legions, consulships, and commands. I read the last three as a unit before, but the man from Washington killed by consuls must be the consul. And that's the fourth line in the series. So there must have been a third murder involving legions last night. We missed it, but it must have happened. Now we have to find it. Yeah. So let's go to the Salvation Army to talk to them. They must know somehow. And weirdly, Robin in his Robin costume goes with Batman. Like his first appearance is them like walking in the front door to be like, we have some questions, sir. (laughs) 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 
And so they go to talk to the colonel who remembers actually the Joker in disguise. And they like give a donation to the Salvation Army. Um, this is just some weird daytime Batman <laughs> nonsense, even if it's night. But it's like Bat- Batman should never go through the front door of anywhere. Um, Wait, how but- far are we into this story? Uh, we're this like, seems like second halfway act. over okay. halfway possibly yeah so th- they get in the batmobile and as they're driving away they get attacked by a bunch of joker goons in cars um and there's a car chase where then they drive into the circus <laughs> into the middle of the rings and they get out of their cars and fight the goons in full view of everybody and they they see robin flipping around and somehow none of these people from the circus are like hey wait that's our friend dick grayson who does those same flips? <laughs> the only person, like dude, the only person in this whole situation that's not brain dead is Silver St. Cloud, who notes that Batman's arm starts bleeding in the exact same place. That, yeah, he uh, gets like hit in the arm. He's like, ooh. I think it's in the next one that there's actual like blood on his sleeve. And this one, she just sees Batman favoring the arm and she's like, oh, holy fuck, Batman is Bruce Wayne. Um, so they beat the shit out of these guys. Then they go back to the Salvation Army, but the Joker's already gone. But they're like, he was the colonel, obviously. Back to the cave, they're trying to predict Joker's fifth and final murder based on this poem. When Silver St. Cloud shows up at the manor and accuses Bruce of being Batman. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And tries to just like gaslight her. Wait, not interrupt, but do you guys remember how she figures it out in the comics? I don't. I I almost reread this run this week. I should have done it. We remember was that a Bruce Wayne grinds his like jaw when he gets angry and she sees Batman do that. It's just kind of interesting. In in the comic books, you know what I think it is? I think she, there's a set of panels. I think I remember this. There's a set of panels and basically it's like, she's looking at Batman and somehow she either sees Bruce's face or see, just looks at Batman and she's like, Bruce. Like she like literally just observes phenomena. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you guys the have the person. same uh, lower half of your face. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Bruce denies being Batman, and she is sad because she knows that she's right. Like her his gaslighting fails, but this like she realizes that he's just not gonna let her into his life. So yeah. she leaves and he like, you know glumly watches her out the window and is also sad because he's like oh i can never be happy i'm only batman playing the sad charlie brown peanuts music (laughs) and meanwhile joker's army of drugged up homeless people descend on the mayor's mansion like rioting and the cops are powerless to do anything to them it's like a january 6th type situation but really demonizing the mentally ill and the homeless uh it was the 80s man down and like makes a big bat shadow, you know, with his cape in front of a light and gives some sort of commanding speech to the homeless people. And they're all like freaking odd by him and kind of back down. And Chief O'Hare is there and he finally is like, oh, I guess Batman, guess Batman's cool after all. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, hey, if, if you're intimidated to homeless people, you're all right with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then Batman gets a call from Robin. I don't remember how they're doing. Maybe it's like a radio or a phone or what the story is. But he gets on the Batmobile and takes off. And the news vans that were covering this riot follow him. And Silver's like watching on TV. And this is like the OJ chase. So it's like the Batmobile being followed by helicopters and cameras and stuff. And it turns out Joker is robbing the art gallery of like an exhibition of Toulouse-Lautrec's paintings of clowns. Huh. <laughs> so he's stealing all these priceless Kids paintings. But also, yeah, he also <laughs> stops to steal like a cheap, like Keen-esque big eyes painting from like a nearby five and dime because he's like, ah, oh, this is even better <laughs> than these million dollar paintings. Which is awesome because Tim Burton ended up directing the big eyes movie too. What a Whoa. weird connection that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they... This big chase, Batman and Robin chase Joker up into a building under construction. They're like out fighting in the girders in the rain. Like it notes, Robin gets his licks in. Batman notes somehow that he realized Joker's plan, this whole thing with the the quote about bread and circuses, his plan by definition would have to make no sense and be merely a distraction. And that's when I realized that obviously he'd be stealing these clown paintings. It's the only thing that would make sense. A real logical leap. 
Uh, but while they're fighting, Joker says, we'll have to do this again sometime. Like kind of a running thread. That was like in that Julie Hickson one and was in The Dark Knight, really. Even though obviously, it was, I always thought it was interesting they left that in the movie, even knowing obviously Heath Le- they weren't going to be able to get Heath Ledger back. Uh, but then, so they're fighting, fighting, fighting. Joker ends up dangling from Batman's cape. But Joker's got a knife and keeps stabbing at Batman and stabbing the cape. Um, and won't stop even though like it's going to lead to his death. And so he cuts the cape and ends up falling into the sewer to get washed away from the rainwater from the storm to supposedly dead, but obviously he survived Batman and uh, silver silver shows up. Cause she was like watching on the news and like followed him there. And they just kind of share a look, a sad look and Batman leaves with Robin choosing Robin over silver, basically and then we kind of have like a post-credit scene, although not specifically noted post-credit of just like Catwoman sort of watching like, ooh, what's going on here? <laughs> That's it. That's the whole movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steve, I feel like you've got a thought. <laughs> no, it's, it's all, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to catch a lot of like, why he's saying so much that a lot of his stuff does make it into these final these this final movie like he because everything i keep reading with him as you guys were saying but it just seems i don't know it seems kind of different in a lot i mean i i like that i mean i don't know it is weird <laughs> well wait and then this, there's another tree yeah, there's yeah. Another one. like the thing about this one i thought was interesting is a i, I actually really liked the like Robin part of this and kind of making the movie almost from Robin's. Yeah. Point I like of view. how it all starts with that way. That's that. But then you sort of lose Robin as you go along. Like that was kind of the strongest part. And like Joker's plan, like it feels like a comic book where it's kind of pointlessly complicated, but then it's like leading to sort of nothing. He's just stealing. You know, it's like, what is the point of Joker really? Yeah. I don't know if I, enjoy the whole salvation army i mean as you were doing i feel in the same boat where maybe i just don't even really understand how the salvation army works i just think of it as the like you know santa claus bucket in front of the ralphs every december and the guy at the bell (laughs) collecting change for the needy well i think the opening is interesting because they bring in robin really quick you know and then it's kind of like this mystery in a way and they you know, and then I don't know. It's, it is kind of weird. I don't. I don't know. I'm kind of off. With, I kind of liked how it started with all that, and then it kind of starts losing me a bit. Well, how different is the second treatment? Different or just kind of? It is a- different. So I'll run through it, but kind of skip over the parts that are the same. We'll yada 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 it. So this one starts. With Bruce and Thomas and Martha walking home from a swashbuckling Warner <laughs> Brothers uh, catalog movie, and the parents get killed in classic fashion. Uh, Gordon is the detective, and he's like, "I'll I promise I'll find it, whoever did this." Um, but young Bruce makes his vow to to spend his life warring on all criminals. Also, interestingly, here they say the ages of the characters, and Gordon is older than alfred like how He's much like, older like 10 years older like i feel huh. like gordon is like Gordon's 50, 50 and alfred's like freaking 40 like huh. he's a young alfred which is because in like 89 batman really set the idea that alfred is like ridiculously old and then <laughs> yeah. it's ever since then they've been slowly drawing that back towards young sexy alfred yeah gordon uh, is 63 years old and alfred is 53 years old in the, is, I guess, is that in the flashback or is that in the present? Um, dissolve or, oh, maybe that's the flashback. Yeah, well, yeah. Wow. The, the funeral, funeral at, at the time of the of the Wayne's funeral, Alfred is 40 and and Inspector Gordon is 50 at yeah. the time of the Wayne's funeral. Okay, so in the present, they've oh. got you. So he makes his vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. And then like this one goes back to more of some of the, the earlier scripts that had more origin stuff. Like we, mm. Bruce training like a maniac and Alfred like watching kid Bruce training and worried that he's like going insane. And 
Alfred is like, listen, I'm worried you're losing your mind, but if you really want, I'll help you train. I'll design your athletic training program. And, but I, but I warn you, I'll have you up every morning at 6am. And Bruce is like, couldn't we start at five? So then we have like Bruce, like going like to like college, like criminology courses as like a teenager, like auditing the classes. And when they like ask who he is, he's like giving false names and stuff. So he's, Unlike the, the Bruce Wayne of the Mankiewicz version, he's doing all this stuff, hiding his identity already because he's already sort of planning. And although it's actually a little unclear. There's a sequence of him like climbing Wayne Manor with a rope. And then the like thing that the grappling hook was on like crumbles and falls off the building. But he just like catches on to the walls with his fingers and keeps climbing because that's just how goddamn badass he is. <laughs> and then there's this whole vignette where... <laughs> So they had, he had studied with this professor, like the, the earlier scene where he was like auditing the class as a teenager. Now he's 23 years old and he returns to the college because his professor, Professor Kane, a little Bob Kane nod mm. there, has been murdered. So there's this little Sherlock Holmes sequence, basically. And like Professor Kane was like a fingerprint expert. And Bruce instantly solves the murder in the style of, homes or like encyclopedia brown where it's like he deduces that the fingerprints on this gun were actually planted because it's like that's like not how they would appear if a real right-handed person had held the gun it was like the angle or pressure was wrong so it's like whoever in this class is left-handed was the murderer and he she immediately confesses columbo style and the detective's like wow what's your name son and bruce is like hmm and we cut away before he says anything and back at home he's in his study he says like i don't see myself as a police consultant i haven't come this far just to solve crimes i'm here to fight crime and criminals all live with one fear retribution he realizes he needs a disguise just as the bat flies through the open window etc cut to titles so that was all the cold open Oh, oh wow. and just last things last. Long, I just, open, it seems. Dude, <laughs> super long, but just last things last. I know I'm jumping out with these interjections, but my favorite part of that of that Holmesian drama was uh basically uh the officers are touched by the lady who says, Yeah, the professor was a philanderer, he knocked me up and left me alone, and I was all fucked up, you know. He he disavowed my baby and shit. So it's like I got I had to kill that fool, like I, you know, crime of passion. <laughs> and then so the detectives are like, oh. That's fucked up, bro. <laughs> like to the lady, they're like hella, you know, um, sympathetic. And then, but Bruce is definitely not. And, and Bruce says, murder is never justified. He says simply, have you no heart? Sobs the woman. Not when it interferes with my mind, says Bruce. I just thought that that was hilarious. Like just as, as just a way to characterize Bruce is just like, and I like it when maybe there's some room for growth, but I think Steve is like, nah, fuck that. Yeah, it's no it almost feels like a setup like the like the dread movie where it's kind of the beginnings about how dreads like this the letter of the law always no matter what and then over the course of the movie he's yeah. like oh wait and like he you know lets he doesn't fail judge anderson and he lets the guy with the weird eyes go because he's 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 not a he's not a perp he's a victim like mm-hmm. dread learns compassion but batman doesn't learn compassion mm-hmm. that's not part of this movie <laughs> yeah. um so then we cut to like more of like a batman cold open some dudes are doing a robbery and Batman steps out in front of their car and throws an exploding batarang under the tires like the Winter Soldier and then kind of stalks the goons, knocking them out one by one like a more classic Batman action sequence of now and ends up with just one dude knocked out and he forces that guy to help him carry the rest of the goons to the police station. <laughs> and they walk in and the guy's like, you don't have anything on us. There were no witnesses but him and points at Batman. But Batman then just just like intimidates one of the other goons. In, or wait, or maybe him or whatever. He can he intimidates mm-hmm. one of them into confessing, mm-hmm. and which is like highly illegal, clearly. But Gordon's like looking on approvingly, and he gives the same speech about why he he backs Batman that he gave in that other draft. Yeah, protecting uh, we serve best by protecting the best, and then Batman quietly says, "Gordon knows how much he appreciates their alliance." Uh, you know, they give a mutual mutual hand job there. And then I I do the same job without your help, but this makes it a lot easier, Batman says. Then the Batman leaves, and then Gordon reflexively rubs his own rounded stomach. <laughs> what is up with that, man? <laughs> 
Maybe um, he's really thinking, I wish I had Batman's baby in here. <laughs> I love Batman. <laughs> so then, <laughs> yeah. So we cut to Bruce Wayne at a charity wine tasting at somebody's mansion. And they note that Bruce Wayne is witty and urbane, more gregarious than Batman, not stupider. He's not a fop. Um, but he meets Silver St. Cloud, who runs the Gotham Garden as per the previous draft. But one of the rich, the guy whose mansion it is, Daniel Rossmore, tells Bruce, he's like, oh, I just got this threatening note from somebody called the Joker. It says, leave $10,067.73 in your jacuzzi anytime today before Johnny Carson or your world will go crazy. Signed, the Joker. P.S. What the hell? Make it $10,167.73. <laughs> Bruce is like, seems like a prank to me. But Bruce sneaks away. And goes down to investigate the jacuzzi room. And there's like a secret panel in the wall or ceiling or something with the Joker hiding inside. Joker gives some crazy speech and then shoots Bruce and runs off. But Bruce is so slick that he managed to slightly dodge the bullet. Which he is didn't very, block it with a silver tray under his shirt all yep. of 89. Very shades of uh, you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. <laughs> yeah. So Joker just runs directly into the party and sprays Joker gas from his flower lapel into Rossmore's face who laughs himself to death and but then Batman runs in in costume and they get in a big fight uh Rossmore dies Joker escapes Silver saw all of this going down then we go to Batman doing another of his classic busting into a sleazy gambling den and beating the shit out of people where's the Joker the guy's like like man it's death to know his plans he's crazy like nobody wants to work for the Joker because then he'll just kill you once you like know what he's up to apparently um there's more stuff where than bruce alfred's glad that bruce is like got something going with silver as per usual so bruce goes to the circus to like meet silver i think commissioner gordon's there silver reveals that she got another silly ransom demand from the joker another like kind of jokey ransom for a small amount of money and bruce is like oh i've got a headache i gotta go but then he can sense that Silver thinks he's bailing because he's a freaking coward and scared of the Joker. So he's like, oh, wait, I guess maybe I'll just hang out. And they talk about stuff, his Playboy image, etc. Like there are they already start falling in love. Meanwhile, the flying gate bracelets come out to do the trapeze act. The same thing happens. The dad starts laughing, drops the mom. They both die. Um, but this time, you know, he's there as Bruce and he goes up and comforts Dick. And he also tells Silver about his own parents tragic death and now she's even more in love with him because she's like oh what a tragic tragic interesting guy so batman comes back to the circus to investigate and he discovers a new kind of makeup the graysons were using called bread and circuses brand makeup and he's like this makeup was poisoned don't touch it silver um and some of the other circus people were like oh yeah dick um also he said that he thought the makeup was poisoned <laughs> so dick is already <laughs> off investigating this makeup so the bread and circus's bottle had like an address on it. So Dick goes over there, which is like in some terrible neighborhood, and he goes into the CD bar next dot next door and is like, "What's up with that bread and circus's uh, makeup place?" But everybody at the bar is a bunch of goons who work for the Joker, and they start fighting Dick. But Batman busts in and beats the shit out of them, and he get grabs Dick and gets out of there. He's like, "Leave this sort of thing to the professionals." And Dick's like, "No, I'm gonna find the guy who killed my parents. God damn it!" Um, then there's as they're just driving away, there's some kind of crazy car chase, which is really glossed over. But Englehart makes sure to note that it's the most exciting car chase of all time. <laughs> right. and, and something about how like Dick is like super excited, but he's never scared. So that like also proves in Batman's eye. Like first he was trying to fight a whole room full of guys and now he's not scared as they do the most dynamic stunts ever. So trying to yeah. submit that Robin's ready to rock. And Joker's in a helicopter, and then after they lose Batman, Joker gets mad and, like, throws the pilot out of the helicopter. Um, Batman takes Dick. He puts makes him put on a blindfold, drives into the Batcave. Dick has, like, a jar of the makeup, and Batman does, like, a chemical analysis on it. And Dick's asking, like, good questions and showing how smart he is. Batman calls Commissioner Gordon on the red phone from the TV show. So that Gordon can check into chemical suppliers or whatever, who it, who would take to make this makeup. And then Batman instantly just reveals, he's like, hey, guess what, kid? 
it's me millionaire bridge my head. <laughs> and just and just and just really quickly it's very funny but dude in each of these treatments it like kind of got me in the feels dude honestly because like dick is shown as like i'm so fucking glad that you trust me bro like you know what i mean it's like your your buddy somebody you think is a true professional at something and has your same goals thinks that you're cool too it's just oh god i can feel it each time i read i read this shit it's like it's really well rendered i mean and the whole thing with dick grayson too it's because it's like people like to point out when they're making fun of batman it's like this guy is like he recruits children and trains them to be ninjas and puts them in danger which is true if that's what he was doing but in both this and the other draft it's like Dick is like, I am going to get revenge on the people who killed my parents. I'm definitely going to get killed doing this unless I have a mentor who can teach me how to do it properly. <laughs> so it's like not really Batman's fault that Robin exists. Yeah. Like he's Robin is very self-directed and Batman's just trying to harness him rather than like letting him get himself killed. No, yeah, There's a whole thing here then of yeah, Bruce now is kind of like buying like presents for Dick and stuff. Like he's getting into the idea of like this this vengeance seeking kid is my son. Now, you know, he buys him a Japanese robot and a baseball glove. Uh, and then there's, there's a Bruce takes silver out for a picnic, more falling in love stuff. Again, the scene of Alfred telling Dick all about Bruce and what hidden depths he has. And so while Bruce and silver are walking around, Oh, and Bruce. Yeah. Repeats Batman. Batman had like said a specific compliment to silver when he, he was at the circus earlier about like her beautiful smile or something, something really weird for Batman to say, but Bruce says the exact same thing. And silver's like, good. You know, she clocks it. And then they get attacked by Joker and his goons. Um, But it turns out silver had like paid jokers, like joke ransom and Bruce is like, what the hell? You paid him? But So Joker, like, kisses Silver's hand. Like, you'll always be safe from me. But Bruce tries to start a fight with Joker anyway. And Joker stabs Bruce in the arm this time. <laughs> um, back at the cave, Alfred's patching him up. Dick comes out in his Robin costume. He's like, guess what? I'm your sidekick, Robin. Batman's like, oh, hell no. But Alfred's like, I don't know. I think you, maybe you should let this child fight crime with you. And somehow he talks Batman into it. <laughs> In like two seconds. Yeah. So then there's like a bunch of like more doing science on the Joker <laughs> toxin. While Robin is like, it's like, oh man, we're the, we're the dynamic duo, Bob, you know, whatever. He's like get, being their hype man. He's so excited to be Batman's sidekick. And they eventually determine there's no cure for the Joker toxin, but you can wear nose filters and some sort of non-permeable, I don't know, somehow they're going to like cover all their pores and they'll be immune to it. And I'm like, I feel like that would just kill you within yeah. a minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then Bruce gets a note from Joker demanding that Bruce put $37,000 in his shirt and go out on the front line, jumping around, squawking like a chicken. And uh, Bruce tells Silver this and she's worried about him and she decides to go out to Wayne Manor. So Bruce is just waiting in his study where the bat flew in the window and Joker climbs in through the window. And he's like, you didn't even call the cops. (laughs) I am offended. (laughs) (laughs) And he squirts Bruce in the face with the Joker toxin and Bruce like goes crazy laughing and seems to die. But of course he's faking it. Um, Meanwhile, Robin jumps in and fights the Joker but Joker's kicking Robin's ass, and as Joker's like choking Robin out, then Batman shows up and starts fighting Joker. But his wounded arm is bleeding through his costume. So Silver arrives just as Joker jumps out the window and he like bowls her over while he runs to his car. And Batman yells at Silver. He's like, Bruce Wayne isn't here, Miss Silver. Go home. But she sees the bloody arm and she's like, oh, fucking Bruce and Batman are the same guy, this liar. <laughs> so there's a big car chase out to Coney Island, although it's called Finger Island, which makes it uh, sound kind of dirty in yeah. that context. <laughs> um, and there's a big chase up into the Ferris wheel. A Joker copter is coming in trying to pick him up. Uh, they do the same gag from the other one where Joker's like dangling from Batman's knife and he's stabbing the cape or dangling from Batman's cape and is stab, stabbing at the cape and he falls and but lands on another car. Uh, oh, so the ultimately Joker like basically is going to get away, but then the helicopter is struck by lightning as Joker's climbing into it and the chopper crashes into the ocean and we never see Joker again. 
So Batman comes face to face with Silver and Silver's like, I know who you are. And yeah, gives this speech, which might have been lifted straight from the comics. Mm-hmm. But just now I saw the Batman in action, not as a news item on TV, not as a mysterious hero I've always admired. You. I saw you, the man inside, the man I love. I saw you fighting with a madman a hundred feet in the air in a lightning storm. I love you, but I couldn't live with that. Never knowing what each night would bring, never knowing when your luck would run out. Batman's like, but baby. And she's like, nope, it's over. She kisses him and runs away. And Batman's all sad. And then he turns around. He's like, this is your life now, Robin. The way it is mine. And Robin fails to read the room at all. And he's like, yeah, this is freaking awesome, dude. Batman and Robin forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and that's, that's the movie, end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So th- I felt like this was a better version of the silver storyline or really just a better ending for the silver storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like the Joker, his plot, it's like, like, what even is he? What's he trying to do? He's just just doing wacky ransoms and then killing people. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the Robin story was just like a little truncated. Even though I like, I kind of liked this or this version of the Batman origin. Like the, I liked the little Sherlock Holmes vignette and stuff. I don't know. You thoughts, guys? I mean, I'm trying to imagine. Like, and also thinking of what, and I guess Steve can fill in gaps if it ever even did get this far. Of like, who might have directed this? Um, well, no, this was still Tim Burton was on board. Oh, really? So it was like yeah, what happened was, I mean, not jumping ahead. Tim Burton, after Pee Wee, he gets involved. They didn't want to give him the green light until Beetlejuice came out, until they saw the how much that movie made. When After Beetlejuice was released and it, and it did well, that's when they greenlit Burton to go through this. But still, at this point, I think it was still kind of in a weird limbo type. Are we making this movie still? What's going on? But Burton did not, he was attached, but they didn't trust him yet. And they gave him, you know, he was working on Beetlejuice. So he would have still been the guy that was going to probably make this. I mean, and it is interesting hiring a comics guy. Yeah, because they never had him go to script and possibly they never even would have because he is a comics guy, but they were trying to like, we got to capture the magic of these Engelhart comics. We'll get Engelhart in here, just do some stuff. Yeah. And then they kind of were like, feel that he was able to capture himself, uh, having read his comics. Uh, I mean, it, that's that's hard because obviously at that time, obviously seventies um, comics are more complicated than forties comics, but they're not two thousand twenty twos comics. You know what I mean in regards to intellectual depth or anything like that. Well, and, I mean, and the thing is, is it's like comics and film are a different medium. Like writing yeah. an actual screenplay is way different even than just writing this treatment. Like he, I think he is fully qualified to write a treatment. That's what I mean. Like just his ideas. Um, like I guess I'm, for me, it's like the Mankiewicz script, love it or hate it. Like I can really imagine that movie existing in the early eighties, mm-hmm. having that kind of Richard Donner Superman tone um so it's interesting to think that this could have possibly been a tim burton movie i'm just trying to imagine this movie coming out in like 1986 or 7 and like what it would have really been like i mean it 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 feels like both of these it's interesting like i feel like kind of feel a little small compared to i guess what we've expect out of blockbusters it's like so much kind of i mean batman returns had a little bit of that where it was sort of like um so much of the action was like around the same town square. Like they built like this giant set and we're like, we're going to use this for literally every scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. And like, that's kind of what Gotham garden is here too. But it's just like sort of bad. Like Joker didn't even really have goons in the first script. And this one, he does have sort of vaguely defined goons, but all of it does just feel a little small to be a blockbuster movie and possibly Engelhart wasn't really thinking big yeah. enough. Cause I was going to say, aside from, introing robin ignoring that part it almost does feel like an episode of the animated show you know which would have been yeah. like 22 minutes worth of material or something um, or like a tv movie like uh the, the the trial of the incredible hulk or something it's about <laughs> yeah. as big as i could see I either mean, of these this stories. feels like some of the other superhero movies we got in the wake of 89 batman that just kind of were not as 
that we're not as big and not as good as Batman was, but like mm-hmm. kind of like the sort of knockout. I mean, like, I mean, this is obviously kind of different, but sort of, you know, sort of like the mask or something. Um, yeah. I mean, it would have been interesting to do Batman. allowed themselves to make a modestly sized Batman movie. Uh, could have been cool. I could see now like the Joker makeup poison and the museum stuff in the first. Now I could kind of see some of the elements starting to get peppered into what's going to what's to come. I, I did like that throwing freaking TV sets out the window onto people. I thought that was yeah. really. <laughs> yeah, that was hard. That was yeah. hard. <laughs> that's, I mean, I like the terrifying. idea of seeing it. And it's funny because this would have been the first Batman movie. So, you know, it's hard. It's hard to fully imagine what that would have been like now that we mm-hmm. our whole lives, we've essentially had Batman movies. But as we keep talking about, it, it's like you get sick of seeing his origin story over and over again. Um, so there is something kind of cool, too, of the idea of seeing it really through the prism of Robin. Yeah, is, is it would be an interesting way in. Well, I, I think I think you're absolutely right on that. I think it's interesting that that at this period of time, they were. I don't want to say smart enough. I'm saying developed enough. Their sensibilities had changed enough for them to be like, there needs to be real world violence in this. And there need to be justifications for him teaming up with a kid, but they're so hell bent on making this Robin's origin story. You know what I mean? They're so hell bent on going, Batman did this for two or three years. It doesn't really matter. It really starts when Robin comes in. They're hell bent on that for like draft after draft. It seems like, I think that's an interesting thing. It's almost like it's also funny, yeah, that they were so fixated on Robin through like all of these. And now we've had a freaking dozen Batman (laughs) movies and they still have yet to ever really do Robin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like they're all so scared of touching Robin. Although I'll be curious, maybe they can do it in this new The Batman franchise because certainly the Batman, spoiler alert kind of shooting those looks at the mayor's son you could really feel like i want to adopt this kid and train him to be a ninja. <laughs> yeah. oh they my god a- i want to adopt this kid so bad oh, well, they had a hide such it. a cool ward he's awesome oh, <laughs> like how sad he is i love it he's like an sec coach rooting rooting uh trying to get a kid to commit he's like oh give me this kid he's got a four three forty and a 46 yeah. inch <laughs> vertical baby <laughs> yeah it's it's like chris o'donnell killed it and then they had to disguise it and 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 dark knight rises you know as i a, forgot they even did chris o'donnell because he's a grown man I, I don't even think of him as bad as robin at all He's, he's yeah. a thirty-year-old Robin. I hate it. Yeah, because uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, this this lasts onto the through even the first few drafts. Uh, when when the next when uh, the the writer the Sam you know, Ham, yeah, like they they wouldn't drop it. This you know, and I think they tried. You know, I didn't read Sam Ham's Batman Two draft. I have it, but I have a feeling maybe they try to stick it in there again, and then you know, then they got Burton. Burton didn't want to do it. And they were like, Burton, you can make your Batman movie. And then that's when ba- Tim Burton pretty much made his own, you know, Batman like, Returns. It's nothing, yeah, it's nothing like Batman. It's like a totally different, you know, movie, you know? So anyway, yeah. So but, what happens after uh, this, Steve? What happens is, um, oh yeah, so really quick, Steve Englehart's uh, website said, I, when, when I got involved, I was, to, I was told that the Joker and Penguin and Robin were all going to be in the picture. I argued that was several characters too many, but I was overruled. <laughs> so my first treatment went that route. The powers bat, that be not only liked it, but for the first time saw the Batman picture clearly enough to realize that two Wait, villains. The one we read did not have Penguin and Catwoman in it. Oh, yeah. that's That was after. I should have read this between. Uh, <laughs> yeah so that was the first one yeah so which we don't have mm. it sounds like well yeah you know i get really i'm really confused by this according to him the next draft he wrote hold on let me just read it yeah so he said the powers that be not only liked the first treatment but saw the batman picture clearly enough to realize that two villains and a boy wonder were masking so to speak the batman story which is what it should be all about how would that mean? So, so I got to do the second treatment with just the characters that eventually hit the screen: Bruce Wayne, the Batman, Silver St. Cloud, Boss Thorn, and the Joker. When I was done, we had all the elements in the right places, and most importantly, we had Batman's ambience. 
ambiance, the thing no one else could do. So screenwriter Sam Hamm and Tim Burton took over. And three years later, after Silver and Boss Thorn had their names changed for various reasons, the one Batman movie everyone liked hit the screen. If I had any sense, I would have continued working in Hollywood, but I was enjoying comics and games. <laughs> I mean, what we got was Vicky Vale, not Silver St. Cloud. Like they were a different character. She was a reporter. I guess Jack Palance, Jack Palance. maybe it's but like Thorne wasn't in either of these ones we read. I also I had suggested we like talk about what the notes he got in between these were, but I felt like the main thing was like, why is this so much about Robin? This should be about Batman. That was like yeah, the main well, note. Well, but why does why does Batman in the first treatment? A woman is just standing there wanting to be loved and wanting to be part of his life. And he goes, nope, and tousles <laughs> a boy's hair. It like, right, he turns from one to the other. And then they jump in the car and drive away. That's a big note that he would have gotten at the time, I bet. And uh, this thing about like the Catwoman and then the Penguin and all that jazz, I think he might be even talking about the Hickson treatment yeah. because the Catwoman kills mm -hmm. Dick's parents in that. Just yeah, like they for just no exist reason. as henchmen. And, and the Riddler is in there and the ping and I think is in there. So it's like, I think that's probably what he was mentioning as far as like, they looked at that bullshit that they went forward with this guy's girlfriend. It's like, ah, oh, would it be an asshole, Steve? But, but he, at least he didn't say that out and out in there. But yeah. All right. We are going to hit pause there and continue the conversation in our next episode in our series of unmade Batman movies. Right off the bat, Steve and I would like to thank Dwayne Nguyen, who was critical in providing a lot of the material we are discussing on this series. So thank you, sir. Um, and thanks to Ed and Pat. Uh, Pat, uh, what can we see of your material soon or now? Well, check out Sonic 2, but also check out Hey, Stop Stabbing Me, the classic indie movie that you and I made 20 years ago, Josh. There's a 20-year wow. a anniversary digitally remastered version with tons of bonus features from Severin Films. So Google that shit. Watch Sonic. Thank you. Uh, Ed, how about you? Uh, just check me out. Ed Grid Destroys on Twitter and uh, reboot it. Uh, reboot it channel on youtube and uh, of course uh, nerd goat podcast is the twitter home for the greatest pod which you can get on all pod platforms and you can find us on twitter at never made film and instagram at best movies never made also check out the electric now app where you can watch a video of all our podcast episodes for free thank you to everyone here at the electric surge network including bill ritter and our producers mark a altman and dean devlin until next time this is josh miller and steven scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.